Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. ESPN's Cole Kublik from SEC Network will join us momentarily. OutKick 360 rolls on. Final hours here. Just like that. We made it. Monday edition. And uh, looking forward to the chat with Cole in just a moment as we'll talk all things SEC, the results from Saturday. The headline there is Tennessee Falls. And not just by, you know, some fluke-type upset scoring at the buzzer where Hidden Hooker did get injured, but it's not like it happened first quarter and then somehow South Carolina springs the upset. No, no, no. This was from the start. A, a dominant performance by a South Carolina offense we have not seen. And quite frankly, a defensive performance by Tennessee we have not seen this year to that level of opponent, right? We've seen Alabama do it. Alabama does that on the routine. Uh, this is this is different. And we'll, we'll ask Cole about the wake-up call there. Plus, it was, it, was, it was a nightmare for Tennessee and their fans. It was also, if you had the wildest dream as a Gamecock fan, of what your offense could be when Spencer or Rattler announced he was transferring to South Carolina. Yeah. It all happened in that one game. Every nightmare for Tennessee's defense and every wildest dream of what that offense could look like <laughs> with Spencer Rattler, it, it was all encompassed into one 60-minute performance. So help me with this. So what happened behind the scenes or what has Austin Price confirmed behind the scenes between Hendon Hooker and... um. Jeremy Banks. Well, Jeremy Banks, but so he was the only player involved? Yeah. That, okay. That's, so I mean, it's just so, those two. Well, Jeremy Banks is the only player who didn't make the trip in, in, under mysterious circumstances. Okay. Never listed on the injury. You know, he never talked about with an injury. Um, Josh Heupel just said he wasn't available. He was asked about that at his press conference today, and he would not uh, illuminate anything that had happened. He just said, yeah, he just wasn't available on Saturday. Asked if there was an altercation. Uh, between him and Hendon Hooker, and he said, I'm just going to say that he wasn't available uh, for this past game, but he will be on Saturday. He said the hope is he's going to be ready to go on Saturday against Vanderbilt. The best that I can – there's been a lot of different things that they got into a fight over NIL money that uh, Hendon Hooker's making that he was mad about, that they got into a fight over something else. It It seems like there was some sort of petty dispute about him not doing push-ups, Jeremy Banks, about walking on the tee, but that there were some other things done around the team this week that were, quote-unquote, from one person I talked to, poor decisions by Jeremy Banks. Nothing legal problem or anything like that, but some poor teammate decisions that he made that possibly included some sort of, not physical fight, but a shouting match altercation with Hendon Hooker leading up to this game. But Hutton, I see that. I'm thinking, even with that, we know Jeremy Banks' track record. He has been in trouble with the law before, too. And since that happened, he hasn't spoken to the media. I mean, Tennessee's been smart not to even let him talk to reporters from that point on. But he doesn't make the trip. 
So what all went into it where he was left home? They thought the best thing for this team is to not even take him. And then I don't think it was just because of Jeremy Banks, but you saw that defensive performance. It can't it, be. It can't all be a coincidence, right? If, if it was because of Jeremy Banks, the Vols have massive issues because the offense came up, showed up, and started answering score for score to begin. And if people are going to buy into the Jeremy Banks theory defensively, uh, so that forced guys to get slower and take bad angles. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I, don't buy that. Again, I'm just saying you take Jeremy Banks off that defense. He's not the sole reason all that happened. But for them to make the decision to take a guy who started every game, oh, yeah. a middle linebacker right. not on the trip, and then that's the result of it, not just because of him, then there must be some things going on. But also to come right back and say, but he should be available this week. I, I, I don't know. I don't think we'll ever get the full truth, not from Josh Heupel, well, who's think, not going to tell the media anything yeah, on this. But we also, it's a, a group trying to search for answers, right? Uh, fan base trying to search for answers that don't have many for what we saw Saturday. Right? So you're just... And, yeah, and Austin, I mean, uh, well, Austin did confirm something went down. It was just all, it all happened at once because they're talking about everything's being talked about on social media, why he's not playing. ESPN has no real explanation other than Jeremy Banks is not available for tonight's game, but nothing about discipline, nothing about injury, anything else. It was all just very odd in the moment and then what, with what was going down with Tennessee's defense. Hit us up on social at Outkick360 is where you can find us. Are we ready for Cole, guys? Cole Kublik joins us live on Outkick 360, uh, host on one of our favorite stations, Jocks, down in Birmingham, but also with the SEC Network and ESPN. Cole, good to have you on the show, man. We're not hearing him. Yeah, is he muted? He may be. I'm not sure. Sorry about that. Oh, there oh, you, go. you guys. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Cole, good to see you, man. And we were discussing Tennessee, and man, we, we've seen a lot you know, over the years with the Vols program, but... That type of loss was different in, in how everything went down. And that was a different South Carolina offense, to be fair, that we saw for the first time with Shane Beamer and, and Spencer Rattler. What was your reaction to how things went and went down and unfolded in Columbia? I was yeah, I was really surprised. And obviously, um, you know, I think Jordan and I had a couple conversations during our game at Fayetteville. Just can't wait to see the film on that one because we saw 60-something points from South Carolina. We've had South Carolina twice this year, and just they're not that explosive of an offense. They, they don't really operate that way. And Spencer Rattler has not been great down the field, but he hasn't really taken a ton of chances every game down the field. And they have certain guys in certain places that you kind of have seen across the course of the year, and you wonder, man, I feel like they could be more on offense, and they're just not. And I thought they had a really good plan. I thought Satterfield put a great plan together. They used some different guys in different places. They got Jaheim Bell going finally. We've been waiting for him to get going. Uh, you saw the carry on Joyner in a little bit. You call it a wildcat, but I mean, he's played quarterback. So I guess just mobile quarterback, alternate quarterback. And then Juice Wells has been that dude all year. He just hadn't had that many opportunities down the field. And he proved it against Tennessee that he could go make that happen. I, I think, too, you, you go back and look at what Tennessee's been this year. And they've been great. But they've started really well in almost every game that they've needed to start well in. And it's one of the first times, I think, that you go back and look at them this year that they've been in that situation early in a game. And I, I don't know from a play-calling perspective, a personality perspective, kind of how much that really impacted things, but you have to think that had some sort of an impact on that ball club. What do you think about the lasting impact of Hendon Hooker? Obviously, he goes out with the ACL tear late in that game where Tennessee probably, even though they were 
pretty much out of it, but not totally out of it at that point, and trying to get a drive to, I think, make it 11 at, at that at that time in the game. Uh, but just overall, in yeah. less than two se- full seasons starting for Tennessee, what what he meant to that program with his play and his leadership. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, let's start with the fact that he transfers in to potentially be the starting quarterback. His coach gets fired. He stays instead of just bailing and leaving again. Doesn't win the job. Other regular starter gets dinged up, becomes starter, and then goes, what, 35 touchdowns to two interceptions or something crazy over the next 15, 16 games? I mean, he was just, he's been lights out since he was the guy. And the way he's handled himself around the city of Knoxville, you know, obviously what he does with kids, uh, an, an immaculate teammate, and then just an incredible performer on the field in that uniform. He's been a great ambassador for Tennessee football. And I hated to see it. Um, I, I, we heard about it during our game. And then going back when I watched the film, I just I, I hated to see him go down just because, well, number one, I wanted to see him in New York. I think he still has a chance to get there. He's been that good. I think he'll go down as one of Tennessee's all-time great players. And it's more so for probably helping resurrect the program and get it back to what it should be, needs to be, and Tennessee fans want it to be than it is just throwing touchdowns and not throwing interceptions. But uh, you definitely saw the offense change a little bit. I mean, Joe, Joe Milton has a ton of skill. and He's got a huge arm. But he doesn't manipulate the fakes. He doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have the accuracy on the intermediate throws or the deep throws that Hinden Hooker does. So the offense got very different. There's no doubt. Cole Kubelik, our guest here on Outkick 360. Uh, I felt like last year, if Harson wins the Iron Bowl, I don't know if the inquiry happens. Maybe it does. You can tell me more on that. But what happens if Cadillac Williams wins the Iron Bowl this week, Cole? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun question. There are a couple of those what ifs. What if Bo Nix doesn't break his ankle? Um, you know, you <laughs> yeah. go, kind of kind of go back to that one and, and just think about what could have been in this whole Auburn scenario. It's been so weird over the last you know year and a half. Um, I I don't know if that means he gets the job. I do think that he is a guy that there have been some discussions about him potentially being Auburn's head football coach. Uh, but I know that there are other names in the mix and there are other names that have a lot of coaching experience and have a very strong resume that could potentially become Auburn's next head football coach. So um, I think he would have to be it would have to be a scenario where a guy or two, maybe three turned it down. And we get in a situation kind of like we saw with Tennessee a couple of years ago and some other schools have gotten in where, all right, now what? And I, I think that it would be, it's a lot easier now to be able to say, why don't we turn to Carnell, put some people around him that can help keep this thing going, and maybe he can find a way to, to keep the program afloat and go out and win a lot of football games. So you're on the sideline at Fayetteville Saturday night, and you watch Arkansas really put one on Ole Miss in that game. Final score wasn't kind of indicative of the way that game went. And I, I'm on social media, and I'm going back and forth between games, and it's hilarious to read people reading Lane Kiffin's body language over the course of that game. Oh, this is a lame duck coach. He's going to Auburn. He's already accepted the job. And, and, and seeing that go down over the course of the game. But also, knowing Lane Kiffin, he's just kind of an odd guy, right? His responses to things. Sure. He's going to be very honest at times. He's got a strange sense of humor as well. He has that answer in the post game about, well, I don't know if I'm the lead guy for Auburn anymore if they watch the first half of, of this game. Um how do you take all of that in, Cole, when you're on the sideline working a game like that? I know you're not just studying Lane Kiffin's reaction to everything, but could you feel some of that with Ole Miss on Saturday night? Not, I, I didn't feel any of that. I talked to him. I talked to Jake Thornton, their offensive line coach. I talked to Nick Savage, the strength coach, before the game. They were all confident. They all thought they had a great week of practice. Uh, 
you know, gave us different things that happened in practice that they had been working on, prepared on. We met with Charlie Weiss Jr. earlier in the week. He thought they had a really nice week of practice, one of their best practice weeks of the year. So I kind of thought, all right, they, they bounced back from the Alabama game. They're ready to roll. This thing's going to get going again. And the crazy part about it is it, it it's not like they just got run off the field. That's 700 yards of offense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I understand what the score was and what the score was late, but good Lord, 700 yards of offense. So you go back and you look at the dropped mesh from Jackson Dart early. There were two turnovers early and two penalties that basically took points off the board in that game for Ole Miss. And I think that's really the difference in the game because Arkansas wasn't getting a ton of stops. You know, Ole Miss just wasn't great in the red zone. They had a couple turnovers, a couple flags go against them. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Sam just ultimately outcoached Lane to that extent of what the game sort of appeared to be score-wise. Um, they just made some mistakes and critical points that gave Arkansas the ball and then points. And KJ Jefferson played great. Rocket Sanders played great. But that's we all did. We all three did the game from the field. I thought you were going to say that you searched my mentions on Saturday night because <laughs> that would have been probably a lot more fun for you. Uh, to go back and look at uh, all the people telling me that I'm not going to be welcome in Oxford next time I come. But <laughs> listen, it was a um, – I think when you when you pile a, a lot of that stuff in together, because Tom kind of asked us the question, does this change your opinion on Lane whatsoever? And I was like, absolutely not. No. Think about – you had two weeks to prepare for Alabama, uh, the flag bearer in this league for a decade now. You have four plays inside the 20 to beat them, and you don't do it. Like, that's two weeks of those guys having things put in their brain about how they can win that game. You're that close, and it doesn't happen. Then you got to travel, and I'll give Arkansas fans credit. They showed up in that game. I didn't think being 24, 23 degrees, there'd be a lot of them out there. They were loud. So you go to a hostile environment on the road. It's in the, the temperatures are in the 20s, and, you you know, you make some mistakes. It's, it's understandable. It's hard to win on the road in this league. It was cold. You're coming off a brutal loss. I I didn't look at any of that and say, oh, you know, Lane's not focused or his guys aren't focused or anything of that nature. And don't think really less of any of the players or coaches on that staff. Like I said, they just there are a couple critical mistakes at really bad times that ended up costing them that game. Cole Kubelik, our guest. Cole, I know you've got to run, but final thing. So, so I told him to back me up a couple minutes since I got on with you guys late. So okay, you're good. Okay, we got, we got oh, to look. Cool. Um, the crowd for A and M. I mean, I realize who they're playing. Wow. <laughs> Second half crowd. Wow. That was unbelievable. And knowing that they have LSU this week, and LSU, and I've said this for a couple of weeks, uh, LSU is what A&M should be, right? And LSU, if you're going to get them, this was the year, and no one's really getting them now. What what do you make of all of the discussion about Jimbo Fisher's future there? And, and we've had Billy Lucci on several times, and he continues to say nothing's happening this offseason with Jimbo in his job status, maybe with his offensive coordinator and play calling sure. duties. What do you make there of, of what's about to happen? And what, it, what have you heard there? And just knowing where they are, seventh in the West right now, compared to where we thought they'd be. Well, I, I didn't think they'd be seventh in the West. I, I didn't have them at second in the West because I thought LSU had the third most talented roster in the league. And you made a great point about getting them this year. I think you needed them to get them this year and you need to get them early this year because they were, they're a team that had a good chance to sort of keep figuring things out. And that's what I feel like they've done. It's To me, LSU is not just, oh, they've improved so much. They've just kind of, they've gotten the right pieces to the puzzle. They were trying to put a puzzle together with, you know, the wrong pieces and they switched them out. And now they're, they just figured things out and orchestrated things to get the right guys in the right places, and now they kind of got it rolling. Their quarterback's more comfortable. 
They got the right guys up front on defense. Obviously, Harold Perkins is kind of like a Troy Palomalu of that defense. He moves around everywhere and does different things. So you had a freshman tight end that's physically much more capable and understanding what it's going to be like. Um, but towards the A&M side, I, no one thought this was coming. I thought their offensive line was going to be really good. Knew they had A-chain coming back. So I figured they could just lean on that and then make life easy on whoever the quarterback was. And defensively, you had all those five stars coming in on the D-line. And you just figured it was it was going to be okay with DJ Durkin coming in. Part of this, though, I, this is part of this, we should have seen some of this because this is why I didn't think they were going to be second in the West and why I didn't think they were going to win 10 games. I mean, you lost your leading rusher. You lost your starting quarterbacks, plural. You lost three of your starting offensive linemen, the best offensive linemen you had, your starting tight end. Uh, you lost your entire defensive line, your best linebacker, all just gone. And they weren't in position to just reload there. They weren't. So I think Jimbo Fisher has some soul searching to do this offseason. Do I believe he'll bring an offensive coordinator in? Yes. But I don't think that that necessarily means he lets them call the plays or design the offense. So you go back to, you know, an Auburn situation with Gus Malzahn, Rhett Lashley. What, if, if you have a situation like that, is it going to do you a whole lot of good? Does it make things even better? Uh, so I, I, I don't know. And Paul Feinbaum said it best on my show a couple of weeks ago when we asked him about it. He said, guys, he, he doesn't answer to anyone. He doesn't have a boss. Ross Bjork can't go in there and say, hey, Jimbo, do this, or you're going to do this. What are you going to do? Pay him 80 and tell him to kick rocks? Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's not going to happen. So I, I don't think them trying to come up with the money or look at ways to get it done, I don't think that's real at all. I think he'll be the head coach at AM next year. I, I think you'll see a little bit of a staff shakeup, and potentially he has somebody else either – coexisting, co-calling plays, something along those lines, or maybe he does just look at it and say, after some self-scouting this offseason, I, I got to give it up. I, I got to let somebody else do this. Any surprises you you feel like are coming at, at the coaching, at the at any coaching vacancies in the SEC no one's predicting? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think the Colorado watch is really interesting right now because Dion's name's kind of picking up some heat there. And I just think – I think Dion is polarizing wherever he goes. I'm so anxious to see how that would work out wherever it is. Um, but I think I think Nebraska's kind of figured out. Um, I think Wisconsin's kind of figured out. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Auburn. I think, I think there might be a wild card name in the mix there, but I don't know um, how realistic it would be to actually get it done. So I, most of these, I kind of feel like we have a pretty good idea where they're going to end up. You feel like Matt Rule at Nebraska is the most likely? Uh, I think he's he's one of the guys that's most likely. I, I think there are there's another name or two. I think Lance Leipold's kind of moved back a little bit, and I think there's a coach that was in the playoff last year that may have a shot there. Okay, all right, all right, yeah, and I, I know exactly you're talking about. And I, at at least Auburn, I think so. I wonder if there is like I know I think you're alluding to the same thing. Is there a Lincoln Riley for Auburn that will shake things up? Right, like where you. You feel like when you first said that, I was like, "No, I think Lincoln's good at USC." Yeah, but, like, but no one, two. no one, one saw him that leaving. That would be in, in over a three-year span. Yeah, but like no one saw him just bolting the way it all went down. And I, I'm curious to see if if there is someone out there for the Auburn job like that instead of just the casual three names we always throw out there. Yeah, I think I think there there might be a name that there's a little bit of mutual interest with that that is kind of out there but again I, I that's why i said I, just, I don't know if everything can work out for that okay. to actually happen so I, I think it'll end up being one of the names that we've been talking about cole kublik uh one of the best you can catch him on the sec network espn of course and on jocks in birmingham appreciate it man as always and let's catch up soon
Absolutely. Sorry it took me a minute to get uh, oh, hooked up. I'm, You're I'm good. technically challenged. Thanks for I joining us, Cole. Appreciate it. Keep up the good Absolutely. work. Thank you. Yeah. Later, man. There's Cole Kublik. Uh, he'll certainly be on a, a TV near you this weekend across the uh, holiday James weekend. Franklin Auburn, you heard it here first from Cole Kublik. That's, I'm uh, kidding, he didn't say that. Well, but you're that's kind that's of the level, that right? Pop, that's a name that popped in my that's, mind when we talked about a surprise. That's kind of the level I was going at, too. And is he alluding to Luke Fickle, I'm guessing, to Nebraska? He said a coach who was in the play had his team in the playoff a year ago. That would be the only one yeah, that not, could be in the mix. It's not Mr. That Harbaugh? A, that would be a... <laughs> You know, I know that I went to school here at Michigan. It's not but, Saban or Kirby Smart. No, it's, so. it's got to be Luke Fickle. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick 360. Coming up, yes, it's true, Vanderbilt was fined for storming the field. Quote-unquote storming. Uh, we'll discuss this. And we will uh, jump back into all the SEC college football and NFL headlines. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. As we take a look back over the weekend on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Robert Sala with his weekly presser day after the game. All these coaches have to do it. Um, it was scheduled to start at 3.15 Eastern. And it just concluded. They pushed it back a few, not just a few minutes, like nearly an hour and 15 minutes. And um, he said that they're going to evaluate Zach Wilson this week and see who the starter is going to be moving forward. Uh, throughout the practice week. Um, but interesting, given yesterday's post, post-game presser, both from Sala and from Zach Wilson. I don't know how you earn the respect of your teammates when you don't stand at the podium after that performance and say, yeah, it's all on me. It's on no one else, even though we lost 10-3 to and lost with five seconds remaining on a punt return. Well, and your head coach coming out and not committing to you as the starter for the next week is a sign of, of what that may have meant. Uh, to that yes. locker room. But more importantly to the locker room, it's his atrocious performance in the offenses. And he said that he's evaluating everything. They are not committing to Zach Wilson being the starter this week, but they are allowing that to play out. And then he would not say whether or not, if they made a change, would it be Flacco or White, Mike White, the backup third-string quarterback? Don't know. Uh, what we do know is there's a, a Jets fan with a coin flip where he's predicted the Jets' schedule. And so far, he is on the money with the coin flip through week 11. 
they play against the Chicago Bears this coming week, and he has the game as a loss. But he has predicted that the Jets would finish 11-6 and six and lose in the AFC Championship game. And Chad, so far, the coin is 100% accurate for him. Yeah, we need to work on his handwriting, first and foremost, so we can read it better on this, this coin flip that he put together. But if I'm reading that correctly, Hutton, I'm seeing after this Bears loss, win, 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 win. Five straight wins for the yes, Jets. to get to 11 wins. And then the one loss at the end of the year. And he's saying that uh, they would already – week week 18, they'd have everything locked up. He has them losing in the AFC Championship game. Yes. We'll, we'll monitor this week to week. If, in fact, they lose again this week, we'll continue to update. I think the Jets are more likely – and I. You know, this is after seeing this, and I'm the same guy who said they could compete for the division because of the way the Bills were playing too. They're more likely a guy who's a team that's playing spoiler than they are a team of that's going to catch fire like the Bengals a year ago, this year. Um, Wilson, this season, among 35 qualifying quarterbacks for how they're evaluating the numbers, he's 35th out of 35 in completion percentage. And second to last in touchdown rate, 26th in QBR, and 24th in yards per attempt. This from Adam Levitin. That's awful. And that's why they're going to make a change this week. And another reason that it's not going to be Joe Burrow and the Bengals last year is Joe Burrow never would have given that answer to that question had his offense played that bad. Exactly right. And he played that poorly. Exactly right. Never would he say that. Congratulations to Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um you know, the butt of many jokes to the point where it's not even, you know, funny to make fun of them anymore with how many losses they've had. Got to go back to, what, 2019 to find a an SEC victory. And now they've rattled off two of them against Kentucky and Florida. Not against, you know, uh, Missouri, South Carolina, how, whatever team you would point to and be like, yeah, this is the week they're going to win. And they, they played well in those games too, Chad, this is a great sign of momentum and optimism for a program that is desperate for any sign of that. You know, instead of having to pick through moments and games where you lose for positive things to reinforce to your team, now you're seeing hard work pay off and you're seeing a Vanderbilt program that has gone back-to-back winning on the road in Lexington and uh, turning around and winning at home against Florida. And it's the question we posed earlier, how do you keep guys together? It's got to be hard when you've had so much yes. losing to keep guys united, make sure they don't get disinterested and want to transfer out in the offseason. How do you give them a glimmer of hope to keep coming back at some point? You've got to give someone something in the end, especially in today's world where you can transfer at any moment. And they've won back-to-back SEC games for the first time since 2018, and now they've got a real opportunity at home. I mean, yeah, they're a two-touchdown underdog, but – it's not Hendon Hooker. It's not the Heisman Trophy that's right. hopeful. That's a quarterback. Pretty talented guy. And Joe Milton that's going to play for Tennessee. But there is an opportunity what? now for Vanderbilt to really steal some shine uh, this season. And really, I mean, I'm going to say it. If they beat Tennessee and get to 6-6, six and six, Clark Lee deserves some SEC Coach of the Year votes at the end of the year. He's not going to win it. But that's a remarkable job yes. to get this Vandy team with what they've been to a bowl game, and in the season, we're not talking winning a couple games early and bottoming out as the year goes on. We're talking finishing the season on a three-game, not just SEC, but SEC East winning streak. That's what's on the line against Tennessee on Saturday. 
But regardless, just beating Kentucky and Florida, a great step in the in the right direction for Vanderbilt this season. Even if it is five and seven at the end of the year, this has been the necessary step forward for Vanderbilt football. Delatory on social has this. Uh, they were Vanderbilt's fined two hundred fifty thousand dollars for storming the field, and yeah, it's Vanderbilt storming the field against Florida. And when you say storming the field, Chad, um, that's putting it like. We're just describing people that are on the playing surface because while there's not many in, in the stands and there are plenty of Florida fans in town because the Gators played and the Tampa Bay Lightning also played the same night here in Nashville. Um, so you doubled up. But normally storming the field entails running as you jump and hurdle people to get on the field. This is just a light walk. Like we'll replay it again. Uh, just a light stroll uh, like we were going through uh, Centennial Park watching this um yeah it looks like they're walking file in, line. it looks like it's exam week and they're walking Singing, into the library yeah down steps like there's no jumping or anything this is this is as this cost them two hundred fifty thousand dollars by the way yes this is a third violation 250k mm-hmm. for what we're witnessing yes that is uh atrocious that you can't do that so bad i mean we can get into the do you take the field when you beat an unranked opponent at home Yes, you absolutely do if you're Vandy. At Vandy. If you're showing up to this game, and after seeing some of the other games people have shown up to, yes. If you sat through ETSU last year, yes. You don't storm the field. You just walk on the field. No. You just just walk uh, on the field if you're Vandy. That's what I'm getting. I mean, you could take snaps. You should be allowed to. (laughs) If you sat through the ETSU game, you should call a play or two from the sideline during the game, not just post-game, if you're at Vandy. Um, it's, It's Florida. And it's the first right. time since 1988. I get that this is a Florida team now, you know, flirting with 500 at the end of the year. Not exactly a banner Florida team, especially right now. But Florida had played well the previous two weeks, and, I know. and Vandy came in there walking man, uh, and and beat them. It was a very weird performance because I'm watching a lot of it. I'm thinking, when is Anthony Richardson just going to take off and run for 50 yards? It was I was almost like. He had just convinced himself, I am going to scramble around back here or try to throw it even if no one's open every time and not worry about using my legs. Well, the defense, though, couldn't stop the run either. Like that, So uh, Richardson, he threw for 400 yards, and you've got the Commodores who threw for just 108 yards in this game. And Mike Wright ran for only 13 yards. Yeah, you know that's they crazy. were able to get it going with the perimeter runs with McGowan and some some other running backs, but uh, it was it was running it with the tailbacks. Turnovers were even. That was shocking. You know, it's not like they coughed the football. Uh, Florida had a hundred and sixty yard advantage in this matchup. Yeah, too. I, I think you know, and now pivoting to Tennessee coming in, the biggest difference I see in this is Tennessee struggles with a running quarterback. I've not seen Mike Wright pass well enough. Right. To think that he could have a Spencer Rattler type performance. Which is why they put Swan in to begin with. Right. We've seen Spencer Rattler throw the ball well before. Not this well, but it would take someone who can be deadly accurate with it to really affect Tennessee to that extent. Do I think they're going to give up yards, especially from right running it, and give up points? Sure. Do I see Vandy scoring 63 because their quarterback throws for over 400? Uh, if that's the case, Tim Banks doesn't get on the bus going back to Knoxville after that game. That's the difference in the two quarterbacks. But credit to Mike Wright. He got benched midseason 
And he has come back stronger than ever, and he's led them on this two-game winning streak. And had a great performance against Kentucky. You're right. Yeah, I mean, that the, the two-game win streak sp- speaks for itself. Um, it's uh, This is a bad loss for Florida, just like it's a bad loss for Kentucky. But knowing that Napier has lost five games in year one, that, that has to... That has to factor into momentum for immediate um, immediate momentum for next year. And, and here's why to me. They had close wins against Utah and South Florida. Their true dominant victories this year, convincing wins. Eastern Washington, Texas A&M on the road, and South Carolina. Other than that, this is a Florida team that at times appears much better than what we see on their record, and at times sleepwalks through moments and situations that they should not be doing with the, the talent that they have at quarterback with Richardson should be way better than the results that we're seeing. And uh, a coach that is trying to point to signs of life moving forward for a program that he took over that had none, that quite frankly quit on Dan Mullen last year. I don't like what I've seen despite... The fact that, yeah, if they just went out, they're going, eight wins is, is fine. But I don't know if it's necessarily a true reflection of the program this year. Because while they beat Utah and everything's great after week one, if you're going to point to the Utah win as a good win, how can the Kentucky loss not be an awful loss now for Florida? Or the, now ending it here where at least you end on a high note, there's no way you come here and sleepwalk through this game, Chad, after what Vanderbilt did to Kentucky. Florida and after is what a, Kentucky did to them. Florida is a program that needs the season to end. That's what I took away from Saturday. There's a lot of rot within that program. It started under Dan Mullen. We saw it manifest yes. itself a year ago. They could get excited under a new coach. They could win that opener that everyone was going to be watching against Utah and look good doing so. But yeah. once they lost that, that game against Kentucky and then lost to Tennessee, they had a bit of a lull that part of the season. They took off for a bit. Anthony Richardson has every physical trait you'd want to see in a quarterback, but has not put it together. It's a team that needs to be rebuilt from within. Billy Napier knows that. They've got a great recruiting class coming in. To me, that's where Florida is. It's You see teams that you watch them and think, man, I'd like to see this team play at least one more game. I want to see this team that's getting hot late. Vandy's a great example. You know, getting hot late, if they got one more game, I think that could really help their program. Florida's a, a team that should almost not play in the bowl game at this point, especially if they lose bad to Florida State. They're a team that looks like they want to be done this year. Yes. They need an offseason. They need a signing day. They need to get to offseason. They need to start looking towards 2023 under Billy Napier. And Billy Napier knows the core leadership of this team is not going to be the leadership moving forward with Florida. At least you'd hope not if you're a Gator fan. First time with back-to-back wins for Vandy since 2018 with Ole Miss and Tennessee being those two. And also consider this. If you plug these stats in for Vandy, Florida, you plug these stats in for the win percentage, the chance of actually leaving with a victory, the post-game win expectancy, I guess is exactly how you'd say it. 8% chance Vanderbilt would win that game again with the same numbers. 8%. With Florida doing the same thing. If you reverse your saying, no, if they, no. if they if you ran just, it back. If you sent this, and however ESPN calculates yeah. this, if you throw in these stats into the mixer and into you say, their this algorithm. is the game, this is the game, their algorithm would tell you Vanderbilt wins that game 8% of the time. 
Wow. Well, the big play in the game was the muff punt right before the half touchdown That's, for yeah. Vandy. That was a huge yeah. momentum swing they, yes. in the game. Well, that then, made it. Florida was getting the ball down seven to six, I think, at that point, and yes. that made it fourteen six at halftime, and really changed a defensive game, changed the complexion of the entire second half at that point. And they converted two turnovers into fourteen points. That's a huge boost for their offense that wasn't throwing it. Vandy, I'm talking about. And going back to the postgame win expectancy percentage, uh, it's the it's the lowest of the week for a team that won. Second is Michigan. If you plug in the same numbers from Michigan and Illinois, uh, Michigan's only winning that game 37% of the time. So there's a big drop-off in the teams that won. Michigan, 37%. They win. Vanderbilt, 8%. They win. I'll trust their algorithm. And if you ask Brett Bielema, a big part of that's the officiating in the Big Ten as to why Michigan won that game. But you know, I know Clay, Clay believes in this, and I, I like uh, the line of thinking where you can tell a lot in a coach in year two. Bielema's got that program at Illinois to a certain level where, you know, next year I think it's going to be a lot like, um, oh, the viewpoint on how we may look at like an Arkansas, right? Where you think they can level up. Can they be the third best team next year instead of the fourth? Maybe the fourth. That's, that was our discussion last week. Can they undeniably be the third best team in the Big Ten a year from now? Well, they have an identity. Yeah, that's what Brett Bielema teams have. So that's that's step one. Your identity can be fluid in terms of style of play, as long as you have a certain cultural identity with your program. But that's a program that's going to have a certain style of play mixed with a tough cultural identity under Bielema, and he's established that already at Illinois. Before I get too excited about their prospects moving forward, I want to see what Jim Leonard ultimately does with the program in Wisconsin. I want to see who Nebraska hires. Yeah. Because and, those are the two programs that with all their resources, with what they've done in the past, what they can do, in, in the current Big Ten West before UCLA and USC arrive, they need to be winning along with Iowa, with what they've done with Ference. They need to be winning more. It's still going to be a challenge for Illinois in that division with those programs. Hit us up at Outkick360. Coming up, we will preview tonight's matchup. Cardinals and 49ers for Monday Night Football. We'll give you our picks, props, and more on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Arizona Cardinals need a win with just four right now to keep their playoff chances alive to make a push here. Doing that without Kyler Murray tonight on Monday Night Football. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Outkick.com slash bet is where you can go to join us on the game this evening, outkick.com slash bet. 49ers and Cardinals in Mexico City, where uh, we're going to see Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy um, filled in last year against the 49ers in a game that the Cardinals won over the 49ers. Keep that in mind. Also, uh, just know that we, we're seeing both teams coming off of a win here, and... San Francisco seems to be turning a corner. I'm not so sure about Arizona and the matchup this this go around, Chad. They've 
They've got to have their top talent match up on offense against what San Francisco's capable of doing on offense with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and others. Um, I don't... I don't think they're going to do that. And because of that, I'm taking the 49ers minus 10. And I'm taking the under. I think I think the 49ers will clamp down on defense. Nick Bosa is going to have his way with an Arizona front that I don't think can stop him on a routine basis. And I'll take the under despite the 49ers putting up some points on offense tonight in Mexico City on what's normally a very bad turf. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm with you on 49ers minus the 10. I'm going to go with them. I think the Niners win, pulling away from that. I'm going to go Debo Samuel, plus 125 right now is an anytime touchdown score. I'm going to parlay those two together. 49ers win, minus 10, and Debo Samuel, anytime touchdown. Hey, crazy story, Hutton, that just came down. Okay. Ed McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey's father, we interviewed Ed in L.A. at the Super Bowl mm-hmm. this last year. Uh, he was the head coach at Northern Colorado, an FCS school, much like TSU with, with Eddie George or, or Deion Sanders. He has been fired after going 6-16 six and 16 and 4-12 and 12 in, in conference. Some of the things issued in the report from the school about why he was fired includes did not provide scouting reports of opponents to his team or coaches, installed plays the day of the game, had no relationship with players, messed with players' scholarships, and made his son's girlfriend the director of operations for the program. He had, never, he had not had any coaching experience past the high school level when he got this job. He hired his 28-year-old son with no coaching experience as the OC when he took the job, and he brought in his other son to play quarterback when he took the job. And he is now fired at Northern <laughs> Colorado. Did he even bring that up with us? Whenever he was joining us on Radio Row last year or this this year, I don't I, even. I, I don't think he was there to talk about like uh, cream and clear or something. Yeah, for muscle aches. I feel like like all I, the the former players are like talking about some sort of pain relief. Yeah, it was. Something I think like he was that. talking about that, but I but don't. He, I don't think we got to his no, Northern I mean his, Colorado time. No, his bio didn't even state it. Like he was he was coming around with the with the client. You know, and of course, we're, we're going to well, focus I remember, on the Broncos. So but. I, I remember he coached that small Christian school outside of Denver where Christian played. Yes. And where Luke played. And I think you're talking about Luke. Luke was at Nebraska as a backup quarterback and played some, <laughs> transferred to Louisville, and I believe immediately transferred from Louisville after a spring practice to Northern Colorado to play for his dad, who he also played for in high school. This is where nepotism goes wrong. That's the summary of the story at Northern Colorado with the McCaffreys. Speaking of Colorado, what do you make of the the rumor mills circulating about Dion there? I mean, it would be a great name to hire. I don't necessarily understand the ge- geographical logic behind it. If you're uh, Colorado with Dion, I mean they they would be that'd be terrific if Colorado landed Dion Sanders. But I think Dion Sanders makes more sense at Georgia Tech or even South Florida. When he's, that's another program that's Georgia Tech, it, Colorado, South Florida, the two that have been mentioned. I think that'd make a lot of sense. That's a program that early on in the BCS, or at one time, maybe 2007, they were second in the BCS standings at one point. And the, you, can, you can win at USF. The, the report from 24-7 Sports is, I believe, that both programs have been in talks with Sanders' 
representation about those two openings. Yeah. So yeah, if, if they're Georgia talking, Tech that means he's South interested Florida. in both. And he's not just taking, he's been, if, if that's the case, you would take calls from everyone just to build momentum and hype. It doesn't sound like he's doing that based on the feedback that we're hearing and that has been reported about Nebraska or Auburn or whoever, uh, Georgia Tech. This is a, to me, it's a weird pairing, South Florida and Colorado, right? If you said South Florida and Georgia Tech, to me, that makes sense. Colorado being in the mix as, and again, one of the worst jobs right now you could point to and try to rebuild. I, I would wait it out. I wouldn't just jump to go coach the, coach the Buffaloes. Who is that mysterious SEC program that Charles Barkley is alluding to? I'd love to be in his Rolodex and his network to know what he's hearing on a mysterious SEC opening that's going to happen. That's already been in contact with Deion Sanders when that job comes open. And it would be through his, his communication with Deion? Yeah. It's got to be Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Well, that, that could be the other part of it is knowing Auburn's going to hire Lane Kiffin and then Ole Miss would come calling. I think they, but that, that, to me, that's not a mysterious opening. That's one that's been talked about, you know, that, that Auburn could be targeting Lane Kiffin. Yeah, it's not Kentucky. It's not. I mean, it, no one else makes sense other than A&M, and that still doesn't make sense based on the buyout money and what Billy Lucci has told us. But even Dion at A&M doesn't make sense, right? With that, that game day culture and, you know, midnight yell and everything. To me, that's not – Dion at Georgia Tech, South Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, sure. Um, I'm just not buying it for what – every, everyone's jumping to Georgia say Tech makes a ton of sense. A ton of sense. I don't know where they are as an athletic program right now monetarily – and what they could offer, but that would make a lot of sense for Deion Sanders. United States and Wells, a draw today at the World Cup. 1-1, the final. And it's on to face England next on Friday. Thanksgiving week is here. We're going to get you ready for all the games that start on Thursday and beyond. Join us tomorrow. Tuesday edition starts at 3 o'clock Eastern across the Outkick Network for Outkick 360.